This podcast is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by Ape Entertainment, who's proud to bring you the return of Drew Hayes' Poison Elves. Look for it on comic store shelves this March. Hey there, this is Denver Daly. Uh, one of the many reasons that Matt Baum isn't there doing this, doing his job, basically. You're listening to Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast with Joe and John. Sort of, sort of break it, break it down like good. Happy Valentine's Day, and welcome to episode 103 of THN, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, February 13th. I'm Joe Patrick, that's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter, and when I'm not burning through co-hosts faster than Matt Baum can burn through his 15 minutes of fame, I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and the artist slash co-creator of Good Plus, which you can find at goodpluscomic.com. And I'm John Literal, Burnt Weeders on the Twitter. And when I'm not trying on pointy hats in anticipation of my inevitable call to pokedom, I'm THN Love Slave and the host of Burnt Wieners Comic Podcast, which you can find on iTunes and at burntweeners.com. This week, you'll hear reviews of Garth Ennis' Battlefields number 4 and Milo Xylado. Yeah, let's go with it. After that, we'll review 10 comics so fast you'll wonder if we even bothered to read them at all during the ludicrous speed round. And then we'll pay a visit to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where the smoldering pages of the lost issues of Sonic Disruptors will project the secrets of next week's comics into our minds. And finally, the comic pushers are back to get one more sad little tweaker hooked on the good stuff. But before we get to all that burning and blasphemy, let's take a moment to welcome John, our latest lamb to the slaughter, to THN, and then we'll talk about this week's big news. Recently, DC announced plans to launch the digital first Adventures of Superman anthology series, which, in the vein of their Legends of the Dark Knight series, will offer out-of-continuity tales of the Man of Steel by some of the best names in the industry. As with Legends of the Dark Knight, Adventures of Superman will eventually hit store shelves in print form. Everybody wins, right? Enter Orson Scott Card, science fiction writer, global warming denier, and vocal opponent of marriage equality. DC has hired Card to write for the first two issues of the new series, and their decision has many fans and a few retailers up in arms. Richard Neal, owner of Zeus Comics in Dallas and recipient of the 2006 Eisner Award for Comic Retailing, has released a statement declaring his decision not to carry the print version of Adventures of Superman in his store. In the statement, Neal says, quote, Card sits on the board of the National Organization of Marriage, which fights against marriage equality. His essays advocate the destruction of my relationship, that I am born of rape or abuse, and that I am equated with pedophilia. These themes appear in his fiction as well. It is shocking that DC Comics would hire him to write a Superman story, a character whose ideals represent all of us. Meanwhile, DC has released a statement of their own to The Advocate, saying, quote, as content creators, we steadfastly support freedom of expression. However, the personal views of individuals associated with DC Comics are just that, personal views, and not those of the company itself. So, John, you want to take the first hit on this one? <laughs> Thanks for throwing me into the deep end of the pool. Welcome so. to THN. Hope you survive the experience. <laughs> this is kind of a heavy topic. It's and, kind of uh, a heavy topic. That's why we're getting it out of the way right now. Okay, let's do that. Let's do that. So, on one hand, I I don't know about you, but uh, for a long time, I have loved uh, card stories like Ender's Game and Postwatch. Like there were there were some really really good stories. But on the other hand, he seems like a piece of shit. 
So <laughs> kind of, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I, I've known about this for a long time, and sure. And and, and I don't want to say that. And we'll get kind of further into it because there's definitely the the that he there's also a trying people are trying going to fire him you know which right there even a little further right there are uh, petitions online trying to get DC to remove him from the book mm-hmm. before it even comes out mm-hmm. and uh, you know I'd have to mostly say I agree with DC's sentiment you know like they're people's personal views and everything. But at the same time, I'm super conflicted because the fact that Card, it, it, it isn't that he's just like, you know, had a drink and he's like, I don't like gay people. Is that he's very outspoken about it. Right. He's basically attacking them and, and he keeps pushing his views on, you know, as homosexually as a criminal activity into the public and stuff. And it might be going a little too far to say, hey, let's get him fired from everything. But if people feel that they're being attacked by him, I can only see that that's... You know, that that seems like an appropriate action for them. Right. And here's the thing about this issue. There's no easy answer. You know, I personally, I I have no stake in the matter. Mm -hmm. I'm a straight male and I've never read Orson Scott Card. So I don't care Mm -hmm. one way or the other. (laughs) And Uh, really, that shouldn't factor into it. No, absolutely not. I mean, I, I, I absolutely support... Uh, the cause of marriage equality, and I think that uh, Orson Scott Card's personal beliefs are kind of reprehensible, but yeah. they are his personal beliefs, mm-hmm. and he's got just as much a right to him to them as uh, I do mine. The mm-hmm. problem comes when you take it into account the fact that Card uses his status as a as a celebrity writer mm-hmm. to act as an activist for his cause. Mm-hmm. And that's a sticky position for DC to be in. I don't envy them at all. It kind of stinks because I was really looking forward to a Superman story by Jeff Parker and Chris Somney. Yeah. Which is also going to be part of those issues. And it's going to be, that's going to be so overshadowed. All the talent that's on all those other stories in the book. Right. If this might be a cop out, I apologize, but I think that every person has to make their own choice. DC is a business and they're going to make their choice based on business sense mm-hmm. and you know they don't really have a, a political stance in the, in this arena i don't think uh and i think if the the guy in dallas at zeus wants to boycott it that's fine i've heard now other stores are choosing not to carry it and i think that's fine too yep but i think if a person wants to read it if a person wants to be a fan of the guy's fiction work you know that's got to be up to the individual and and to just kind of call for dc to scrap the project is kind of going a little far in my opinion yeah or, yeah like, you know making a boycott one thing like you are personally not going to buy any of his stuff anymore making it so the guy doesn't have a job i don't know that seems extreme to me but also he does go out of his way to you know propagate his he his, is an extremist yeah he, i mean you, you can know, say he, well, that's a tough one, that. and I'm uh, I am really sorry that I had to hit you with that right out of the gate. <laughs> There's well, nothing else going on this week. <laughs> in less controversial news, writer Jeff Johns has announced that he'll be leaving Green Lantern after a nine-year run. Johns' first work on the character began in 2004 when he brought Hal Jordan back from the grave in Green Lantern Rebirth. Since then, the writer has added many elements of the GL mythos including the Rainbow Coalition of Different Lantern Corps, glowing animal mascots, and blood-spewing space kittens. John said that the conclusion of the first Lantern story felt like the right time to wrap up his run and tease the quote, the bizarre return of Hal Jordan, 
the final fate of Sinestro and the revelation of the first lantern and an ending I hope pays off everything we've ever done and ever created with Green Lantern. Wow. John's final issue will be May 20, May's number 20. So, Joe, what do you think? Are are you crying? I just can't handle it anymore. There's no crying in comic news reporting, Joe. First Matt Bomb, then the Pope, and now Jeff Johns. I can't handle this much anymore. You're the only one that understands me. I'm like Johns, just without that S at the end. Oh, I'm so glad you're here about it. So you're super sad about it, (laughs) obviously. You know what? I think he's had a long enough run. Mm -hmm. I've enjoyed Green Lantern, and I think that he's done a lot for the franchise. He really did kind of revitalize it. And, you know, love him or hate him, I think he's done a lot. Not only for uh, DC Comics and Green Lantern, but comics in general. And I'm happy to see him end on kind of a high note, rather yeah. than just peter out. You know, it's it's good of him to know when it's time to push his chair away from the table and say that it's somebody else's turn. Uh, who that person should be, I don't know. I can tell you that I don't want DC to just hand it to one of their four other guys <laughs> that they seem to go to. Like, there are only so many books Jeff Lemire can write. Um, but What do you think about James Tinian? Oh, I like James Tinian. I think he's an up-and-comer, and I like his stuff a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't mind at all if he had a crack at Green Lantern. I also wouldn't mind if uh, Pete Tomasi got to write the main book for a bit. Because that would he's, be fantastic. You know done such great work on Green Lantern Corps and you know he's kind of known for doing great stuff with the secondary books like Batman and Robin and Green Lantern Corps mm-hmm. and I think if they gave him a shot at the number one GL book that would be fun uh, but I'd also like to see a a new name in the mix you know not just you know Keith Giffen or and, and no offense to those guys but it's <laughs> it's been those guys for a while I want to see somebody new bring something new to the table. You know what I mean? I, I totally understand you. And if Tamazi did move up to the main book, I already have someone to fill the Green Lantern core for the writing. Oh, yeah? Who's that? That'd be Gail Simone. Ooh. Wouldn't she be amazing on a team book of Green Lanterns? Man, that would be great. <laughs> that yeah. would be great. I, I think Gail uh, needs some more exposure at DC. I think, mm-hmm. you know, she's got Batgirl and that's great. But I think she's one of DC's stronger writers, and it's a shame that she doesn't get the same attention that some of these other guys get. And she's I think, fantastic. yeah, giving her a high-profile book uh, in the Green Lantern universe is a, a great step. I'd love to see her take on something, and it would be different for her as well. You mm-hmm. know, it's not normally it's not her n- in her normal wheelhouse, so that would be a fun mix-up. I think that's a good idea, John. Hey, I'm full of those, man. I feel better already. You should. I'm glad that I... Matt Bomstein, total crap. I'm glad I brought you in here. I'm glad you brought me in here too. <laughs> and finally, Top Shelf Productions has announced plans to publish March, a graphic novel trilogy based on the life of Georgia Congressman John Lewis. Lewis, of course, was a key figure during the civil rights movement before entering the political arena. And from their press release, Top Shelf described March, saying, quote, March is a vivid first-hand account of John Lewis's lifelong struggle for civil and human rights, including his key roles in the historic 1963 March on Washington and the 1965 Selma-Montgomery March. 
Meditating in the modern age on the distance traveled since the days of Jim Crow and segregation, and rooted in Lewis's personal story, it also reflects on the highs and lows of the broader civil rights movement. March will be co-written by graphic novelist Andrew Aiden and Lewis himself, with art by Nate Powell, and book one will be released in August of this year. John, I think this sounds amazing. What do you think? First, let me, I will agree with you on the amazing, but three books? Really? Well, you know. Do you think that his story is large enough that it's going to take three books to, to tell? They're going to get that deep into it? Well, that depends. I mean, I guess it depends on how it's paced. You know, is each, mm-hmm. it's, is each book detailing, detailing like a specific event? Mm-hmm. If so, I think that, that that would be enough to merit three books. And also throw in the fact that it sounds like they're going to be reflecting on it in a modern setting. So if it's going to be kind of cutting back and forth between his work in the past and his work in the present, mm-hmm. I think there's enough meat there. I mean, time will tell if it's all padded out, you know, but I, I think that in this case, I, 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 there's enough there to get excited about. Oh, yeah. And yeah I, I, I didn't want to, like, downplay the rest of it because there's going to be a lot of iconic imagery uh, presented in this. And I think that the comics medium is a great choice for it, especially when you throw someone like Nate Powell on the book. Sure. So, and, you know, we're, when we're talking three books, we're talking like three fourteen ninety nine volumes. Oh, so okay. they're probably only like 180 pages, maybe. Okay, I guess I didn't read anything about that. Yeah, okay. So, it, yeah. yeah, it's not like it's going to be like three Habibi-sized <laughs> books. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> That's the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, head over to our Facebook page where we're pitching our own autobiographical comic, The Wacky Misadventures of Young Nerds in Love. Here's hoping Top Shelf takes notice. Each week, Joe Patrick posts the question of the week on the Facebook and Twitter, and we read your responses on the show. This week's question was, what's your favorite autobiographical comic? All right, on Facebook, Camarillo Brio writes, Mouse, I don't even know how any others could compare. Knocks it out of the park with the first hit. Mouse is an amazing graphic novel. Mouse, the Mouse 2, not as great, but... I agree. <laughs> I, I mean, I think the original Mouse, there's no, there's certainly no downplaying its importance. And our buddy Max Riffner says the exact same thing. He says, recently, my friend Dahmer... And in general, it's a toss-up between Fun Home, American Splendor, and Peep Show. I guess Mouse is autobiography, or autobiography, and maybe <laughs> the best cartooning I've ever studied, but I strangely don't think of it as, an, as autobiographical. Though I agree, Mouse is really brilliant in so many ways, and I hate that most of the comic reading public dismisses it so easily. My wife Michelle says that her favorite autobiographical comic is my webcomic Good Plus, Thanks, honey. Woo! Plug away. Plug, plug away. away. Good Plus Online. That's right. Good Plus Comic. <laughs> Goodpluscomic.com. Oh, good good yep. Plus Online got got stolen by squatters. Uh. Justin O'Connor writes, Any of Chester Brown's work, The Playboy, I Never Liked You, or Paying For It, it has a level of cold detachment from his own life that is a stark contrast to the pity-me, emo-baiting crowd that flooded the market with shallow and cliched comics. Also, Ivan Brunetti's Schizo was more brutal introspection than Autobio, but it was far more honest than most. 
and wrapping. Now I have to ask: Have you paid for it? Uh, no comment. Oh. And wrapping up our first round of responses, Zach Hollowell echoes Justin's appreciation of Chester Brown, <laughs> saying that I never liked you or the Playboy have never been a more accurate or heartbreaking take of what it's actually like to be an awkward 13-year-old boy. This, of course, led to a heartwarming moment as Justin and Zach declared themselves boner twins. <laughs> it was adorable. We'll Will be you back. be my boner twin? Oh, buddy, you know it. Boner yes. twins for life. We'll be back with more of your responses later on in the show. It's review time on THN, where John and I take two of this week's comics, introduce them at a casual social gathering, and see if the crazy kids hit it off. John, which book did you bring to the party this week? I delivered Garth Ennis's Battlefields number 4, The Fall and Rise of Anna Karkova, part 1 of 3. Yep. That's from Dynamite Entertainment, written by Garth Ennis, art by Russ Braun, and colors by Tony Avina. Here's the solicit. The heroine of the Night Witches in Motherland flies straight into trouble as her aircraft is shot down behind German lines. Anna faces her worst nightmare as a prisoner of the Nazis, and events are set in motion that will see her made an outcast amongst her own people. The third and last installment of the Night Witches story begins here. All the battlefields are pretty dramatic. So, <laughs> a, as you kind of heard, this issue follows Anna's time in a German POW camp after being shot down from her plane. And I don't know if a lot of people know it, but both the Russians and Germans were very nasty to each other, and you did not want to be captured by the other side. It was not going to end well for you. Um, there is a little bit touching back on some, some of the previous stories of Anna. Uh, there was two previous arcs, as, as mentioned. Uh, but they were it was very light and mostly centered on the story at hand. She's in very bad shape after the crash and is taken care of by this Jewish Royal Air Force officer uh, who's also in the POW camp, and his name's Chris Cohen. Now, Garth Ennis is mostly known for his shocking storylines and juvenile potty humor. I think he gets a bad rap for that, but that's a whole nother story. And most of that is missing or toned down for the story with the, with the one big thing being saved, you know, for the very end, that, that gut punch. Mm. And you can tell he has a very, very deep respect and admiration for the people who have been through, through the hell of wartime. And that is, and, a, that's a theme that's through every war comic he's ever written. Yeah. Yeah. He, he takes it very seriously. Um, and, and he, he does not romanticize war. He's going to show its ugly face, but he's also going to show that that the characters and bravery of the people in these tragic situations. I mean, they are heavy books that he writes in mm, these yeah. in these battlefields ones. Um, the back and forth between between Chris and Anna, the, the, they're doing flirting and and butting heads uh, in a, in a political and national pride arguments. It, it, it's quick and snappy, and it brings out the charm and intelligence of both characters, but also at the same time, their failings. You know, Anna is a pit bull ready to rip a throat out at, at the drop of a hat, and Chris is a level-headed and calm guy, but he gave up a long time ago. Um, he's just kind of going through the motions anymore and, and, and hoping to help Anna out through this terrible situation. The art from Russ Braun and the colors from Tony Avina were 
damn near perfect for me. And the subtle ways that they showed passage of time, I thought it was super clever. And it also went hand in hand very well <laughs> to show the, you know, the bit of romance building between these two characters. I find that a lot of people overlook Garth Ennis's ability to, to write a romance that, you know, that's a really powerful story. Yeah, I think he's good at relationships. Mm -hmm. and, and, and he does so without it overtaking a story or being so sugary that it turns you off from it. You know, like you're, you're not going to get the notebook from him. No, but I mean, you, you're going to get a little sweet sweetness. Um, and, and, and back to um, bronze art uh, that there's this scene uh, between Anna and Chris where he compares Hitler to Stalin. Oh, and the face on Anna. It, <laughs> it's so vile and disgusting and you can just, just hate filled yes and and she drops a racially charged threat and so you see that you know she she does have some of the these bad character flaws and that you know she's not a perfect character and actually that panel is kind of awesome because it reminds me of a of a panel that he did for the boys almost exactly with the female like it's the same face and everything sure. just a different color hair but i i loved it so i love this issue and it was probably one of my favorites of all the battlefield series joe what would you think buddy now i liked it a lot and i have never really read battlefields i i think i mm -hmm. read i think i read maybe one or two like the very first two issues of the first mini back gotcha. when it was a series of minis mm -hmm. Uh, but I never kept up with it, and I loved this issue. So Good. I don't have any connection to the Night Witches. Uh, I, I know enough just by being at the comic store every week that that was a thing. And mm -hmm. so I kind of inferred that, that she was a character that had appeared before. Mm -hmm. But you don't need to know any of that going in. All no. you need to know is expressly laid out on the page. He doesn't waste a second of it with, you know unnecessary exposition mm -hmm. the artwork is gorgeous it's very reminiscent to me of Derek robertson but that's probably no accident and like you said he did some work on uh, russ brown did some work on the boys as well yeah mm -hmm. so i mean it, it's a, an excellent fit with garth ennis's script and this issue had a heartbreaking moment for me <laughs> at the end that i won't spoil here but yeah. you don't have enough time to linger on it before the cliffhanger yeah, uh, you know, and the danger that Anna finds herself in. This is a wonderful issue. Uh, I'm giving it a huge buy it on my end, John. I assume you're giving it a buy it as well. It is a huge buy it. And and before we move on, can I explain what a what a night witch is, just in case nobody knows? Please. Uh, night witch was a was a Russian, and this is a real thing too. Night witches were uh, a squad of female pilots who wrote who had biplanes, and as anybody knows, biplanes are very slow and loud. And so to drop bombs on the German soldiers, they cut their engines and would kind of soar in over top of them oh, man. and drop their bombs off and hope their engines turn back on so they could fly away. Wow. It, yeah, it, it took huge amounts of bravery. And, and for the longest time, they were not appreciated. You know, most of the Russians did not want them there, but they, they eventually yeah. did get recognized for it. So. Oh, man, that's awesome. Well, I will. I mean, this was good enough that I will definitely... Uh, be sticking around for the rest of the story. It's that good. good. Uh, I would definitely recommend that people seek it out. And Joe, what are you reviewing this week? My pick of the week is Milo Xylido, number one from Bongo Comics, 
written by Mark Osborne and Coldplay, <laughs> with art by Alejandro Fuentes and colors by Steve Hamaker. Here's your solicit. Get ready. <laughs> Every album begins with the germ of an idea. Every song tells a story, and now it's finally revealed that there is a secret, otherworldly narrative behind Coldplay's newest hit album and its enigmatic title, Milo Xylado. Three years ago, Coldplay teamed with Mark Osborne of Kung Fu Panda fame to create Milo's epic story that has gone on to inspire chart toppers like Every Teardrop is a Waterfall, Paradise, Princess of China, and Hurts Like Heaven which has its own Milo Xylito comic-themed music video providing insight into the backstory of this new universe and a glimpse of Milo himself. Prepare to experience the world of Coldplay in a whole new way with his brand new six-issue video. God, that's the worst. So, apparently this is a comic book inspired by Coldplay. I didn't really find that out until after I'd made the decision to read it. (laughs) But that didn't stop me. Uh, It's not that I have anything against Coldplay, really, but a comic book adaptation based on a band's concept album just screams pretension. Mm -hmm. And the solicit is so awful and cheesy, I could barely get through it. Milo Xylito is the story of a world where the populace is cowed and sedated by their government under the threat of unseen monsters called the Eaters. Emotion is bad, and too much emotion is a crime. Milo is an enforcer of the law that starts to question his role after meeting a rebellious graffiti artist that shows him the world he's been missing. Sadly, this is such a cliched idea And I feel like I've read and seen it a thousand times before. The harsh stickler for the rules that meets a free spirit that teaches him how to love. (laughs) This also sounds a little bit like that uh, Tom Morello comic from Dark Horse. (laughs) Orchid. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, There's nothing wrong with it per se. It's competently executed, but it just feels far too familiar. I would have given it a little bit more leeway if it was an all-ages comic, which I kind of assumed, considering Mm -hmm. it came out from Bongo. That, I guess, is uh, an error on my part, because (laughs) part of the feed that keeps the populace sedated includes a constant stream of pornography. I'm in. Sign me up. Well, sure. And, you know, I don't have any problems with that either. Uh, it's just not something I would hand to a kid. Uh, oh no, no! I mean, I'm I'm totally into being in this populace. Oh, you want a you want a yeah. constant stream of pornography to dull your senses? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I Basically, you. I do that anyways. It's just not fed into my head. So. Right. I mean, you have to turn off your computer and go to work and stuff eventually. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Once the all ages status was off the table, I became a lot less forgiving of the cliched nature. The art by the team of Fuentes and Hamaker is gorgeous, though making this issue really, really wonderful to look at. It's just a shame that the story doesn't match the high standards of the art. If you can get past the cliche, you may enjoy it more than I did. I'm giving it a skim it. I found it super pretentious and way, way, way too predictable, but it is gorgeously drawn and colored. So at least it's got that going for it. Sadly, I couldn't get a copy of it. That's okay. That's okay. But I do have some questions. Okay. Okay, first off, I'm going to I'm going to ask you something that I feel like everyone else is going to make the joke of, but I haven't heard it yet. So, okay. did this comic remind you of a comic book that Joe Satriani wrote? 
<laughs> I don't know any comics by Joe Satriani. Oh, it's a little joke because uh, Coldplay kind of ripped off one of his songs. Oh. Uh, ask Matt about it if you ever see that <laughs> again. <laughs> wow. Well, that guy's dead to me, so as far as yes. who cares what he thinks. Yes, and as a concept album, because I went and listened to it, and I was not a big fan of it. I've been off Coldplay for a very long time. Sure. I have a real hard time believing this is a full concept album, especially since one of the songs is called Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown. Yeah. Not exactly their concept. No, no. <laughs> Maybe it's a concept album full of other people's concepts. <laughs> that would fit with their uh, the way they do things, apparently. There's Coldplay for ya. <laughs> So that's a double buy it for Battlefields number four and a skim it for Milo Die Live Toe 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 number one. Osmosis Jones number one. (laughs) It very much looked like that. Of course, we want to know what you Russian fighter pilots and Coldplay fans thought of these comics. So share your opinions with us over at the comment section for this episode at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Now it's time for me and John to review 10 comics so fast you'll call our journalistic integrity into question. But you know what I say to that? Integrity don't mean nothing in the ludicrous speed round. Ludicrous speed, go! Manhattan Projects, number nine from Image. There is a lot that happens in this issue, but none as important as the sentence I'm going to say. Einstein brutally beats down a giant luchador wrestler with his own championship wrestling belt before tying up and torturing him to extort a ton of money from the masked man and then proceeds to spin kick him out a dimensional gate in the middle of space. (laughs) Crazy, insane, and absurd do not capture the feel of this book. I cannot give it a higher bias. Batman number 17. This is the conclusion of the Death of the Family storyline and it is everything I ever wanted it is one of the best comics of the year. Again, Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo knock it out of the park. It's creepy. It's super scary. He Snyder brings you all the way up to the pinnacle of tension and, and anticipation and still delivers something that you don't expect. I love this issue. I'm giving it a huge buy it. Elephant Man number 46 from Image. We'll buy it for Batman. A series that normally is taking a very sci-fi noir bend to real-life struggles for racial equality really, really amps up the sci-fi aspect with guest artist Shaky Kane from the Bulletproof Coffin fame. Oh, that guy's a weirdo. Yep. Giant hippo (laughs) man, hip flask, encounters a man who survived radioactive bombing to only be granted the ability to grow mind-controlling mushrooms and spores on his body. This issue could have been easily a great X-Files episode, not a great jumping on point, so I'm only giving it a skim it, but the series overall is wonderful. Powers Bureau number one from Marvel Icon. This is the long, long promised and long delayed return of Powers in the wake of the previous storyline. All Powers related cases are now federal, which means Dina Pilgrim and Christian Walker are recruited to the FBI. This was a great first issue, a great jumping on point I think you don't really need to know a ton about the powers universe to check it out I loved it a lot it's got the grossest crime for for this first case Uh, it was hilarious it's got great art by uh, Michael Avon Oming Mm. I'm giving this one a huge buy it if you are a lapsed powers fan or if you've never checked out powers before check it out Fury Max number 9 from Marvel 
Nick Fury, Frank Castle. They're fighting their way out of an army camp in Vietnam. No, no, wait, I'm sorry. I, I think it's in Laos. Um, kind of blank on which it is. But after they're taken as POWs, trying to kill a high-ranking officer in a black ops terrible mission. Did I mention that Fury left orders that if they were to be captured, that the Americans were to bomb the camp? And that Fury has to deal with the slimiest piece of human trash known as Senator Pug? Bloody political and favorite series of 2012? Fury Max continues to kick all sorts of ass. Buy it. Secret Avengers number one, Marvel. This is the relaunch of Secret Avengers by Nick Spencer. Uh, I was not really excited for it. I thought it might be decent, but, you know, I wasn't anticipating it that much. Color me surprised. This issue was fantastic. Good. I love, love, love what they're doing here. Uh, there's a neat twist as to why the Avengers are working on these Black Ops missions. I'm not going to spoil it, but it was awesome. The art by Luke Ross is good. I don't know if it's a great fit for this particular type of story, but I like it. I like it a lot. It was a very pleasant surprise. I'm giving it a huge buy it. Crawling Sky number two from Antarctic Press. Something demonic and evil lurks in a dried-up well that was filled in and buried in stones carved with ritualistic symbols to keep it trapped down there. So of course somebody digs it up. Mostly great black and white art from Brian Denham. Solid, but very slow build horror writing from Lansdale and Lansdale, or as I like to call them, Lansdale Squared. The second <laughs> issue got me on board more with this story. The, the first one was a little lacking for me, but this will not be for everyone, so I do have to suggest to skim it. Uncanny X-Men, number one, Marvel. This is the other X-Men book by Brian Michael Bendis with art by Chris Bocciolo. This is the story focusing on Cyclops and his group of revolutionary mutants. I have to say, I didn't dig it as much as I enjoy new, or what's it called? All new X-Men. All new X-Men? Yeah, I mean, it's good, uh, but not as much fun as that other book. I love the art by Bocciolo. It's got a neat twist ending. Um... I don't know. I just wasn't 100% sold on it. I'm. I don't know if I want to follow. I don't. I don't know if I want a whole book devoted to Cyclops. I'm giving this one a skim. It. It's worth looking at, and I'm on board for at least the next one just to see if it gets any better. Mm. To hell you ride. Number three from Dark Horse. Stop the music. Insert sad trombone noise. No, just kidding. Really enjoyed most of the first issue, but the second and third issues really took a nosedive in the story about the ancient Indian spirits wreaking havoc and punishing people of a Colorado town. Dark team, I think, is knocking it out of the park, and I really want to get in the story, but the characters or the plot are just not doing it for me. I can't decide which. Might be both. I have to give this a leave it for now. Is it still Tom Mandrake? Yes. You know what? I love Tom Mandrake, and it's too bad he doesn't get uh, better stuff. It's awesome art. Katana number one, DC. Speaking of awesome art, this is the solo series starring the former Bird of Prey and pre-reboot former outsider Katana. It's written by Anna Senti, whom we have struggled Ooh. with in the last year or so. Can I guess? Uh, Leave it? You can guess, yes. You won't have to guess. <laughs> uh, it's drawn by Alex Sanchez, and his art is great. It's a little cluttered in parts, a little muddy. But it's super detailed. It's got a really great line quality to it. Uh, it's a beautiful book to look at. And Nascenti. Here's the thing. The story itself is fine. There's nothing wrong with the plot. It's the dialogue. It's terrible. Katana actually says the words, and I quote, as the kids would say, epic fail. End quote. Oh. 
Those words would never come out of Katana's mouth. That's the worst. It, this was a hard read. I'm giving it a leave it. You do not need it. There are much better Katana stories out there. That's Tony Bedard writing. Oh. That is your ludicrous speed round, and is the sound of one dude getting another dude pregnant with his super sperm, as seen in the pages of this week's Powers Bureau, number one. You can't make this stuff up, kids. Joe, I'm so ashamed of you. It was awesome and gross. <laughs> <laughs> Legends speak of Sonic Disruptors, a miniseries from DC so vile it had to be cut down before it could complete its evil tale. Now, in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, we found the secret burial ground where these cursed issues were laid to rest, and we burn those lost issues with fire, hoping the release of their dark power will bring the secrets of next week's comics to the present. John, what have the smoldering remnants revealed to you? This is one of the few times I wish Matt was here so we could have got high as f- <laughs> he would be down for that, I'm sure. My pick for next week is the Six Gun, Sons of the Gun Number 1, from Oni Press, by Cullen Bunn, Brian Hurt, Brian Trilla, and Bill Crabtree. I love character spotlight issues, like the TMNT micro-series, and this seems the series is going to be issue after issue of that. Brian Trilla, oh my god, I love his artwork. If you've never seen him, check out D.B. Cooper, the anchor. Well, I think he just wrote the engineer, but it's still badass. And in this issue, we get bloodthirsty Bill Sumter, and he finds himself alone on the brink of death and undergoing a frightening transformation. You can't go wrong with double the Bryans. Too Brian, too furious. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, (laughs) (laughs) Joe, what's your pick for next week? My pick is Nova. Number one from Marvel Comics by Jeff Loeb and Ed McGinnis. Fans of THN may remember that I am not 100% happy with Jeff Loeb these days. However, I am a huge Nova fan. Huge. And I have to know, what's the deal with this new Nova? What happened to Rich Rider? What the f*** is going on in space? Please, somebody explain it to me. I'm tentatively cautiously optimistic that this won't be a total train wreck and i do like ed mcginnis so i'm checking it out in the hopes that all of my questions are answered and that jeff Loeb might have a hit on his hands we'll see I'm just not... skip it and go read shock rockets again oh shock rockets is good the thn trade paperback pick of the week is the resonant alien volume one trade paperback from dark horse comics This is the story of an alien living undercover on Earth as a retired doctor named Harry. And when the town's real doctor dies, Harry is pulled into medical service and finds himself smack dab in the middle of a murder mystery. This story was a lot of fun, and we encourage you to seek it out on the shelves of your local comic shop next week. And of course, we want to know what you're looking forward to, so be sure to leave your smoldering remnants over at our Facebook page, that's facebook.com slash two-headed nerd. Before we move on, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast is brought to you by Ape Entertainment. Since 2003, Ape has been bringing readers original and licensed comics and graphic novels. 
Be on the lookout for the March return of Drew Hayes' Poison Elves, which continues the saga where it abruptly ended in 2007. Get to your local comic shop and pre-order your copy today, right this minute. Check out ape-entertainment.com for more. Thanks again to Ape Entertainment for sponsoring THN. If you'd like more information about sponsoring the show, send an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com with the subject line, Sponsorship. Joe, before we move on, tell me if you think that man baby Aaron could pull off a Will Arnett voice like this. Oh, he could not. Definitely not. (sighs) That's right. Skills pay the bill. And how about we get to some more answers to the question of the week? (laughs) THN Love Slave, the TD dubs, that's Tony Doug Wright for those of you not in the know, wrote in with the following. Mouse, Blankets, and My Friend Dahmer are excellent choices. I really enjoy the travel stories of Guy Delisle, the Burma Chronicles, Pyongyang, I'm, I know I'm saying that wrong, Shenzhen, and Jerusalem are all interesting stories of how Delisle and his family dealt with relocating to some of the more interesting cities. He's a fish out of water and is unapologetic about how he views certain cultures. Great list there. Here's one from Brian Domingos, Pedro and Me by Judd Winnick was autobiographical without only being about him, and it had a heartfelt and touching message. And I love The Alcoholic by Jonathan Ames and Dean Haspiel. But like most of Ames' work, it's only mostly autobiographical, Mm -hmm. or almost autobiographical, he says. Darren Jensen says, A mess of everything is marvelous and underappreciated. We will talk more about that in the answer of the week. And finally, Aaron Myers wraps up our listener responses. With Will Eisner, To the Heart of the Storm, such a powerful memoir of his early life on the eve of going off to war, a true masterwork. I would like to point out that I was booing Aaron and that that Will Eisner story is amazing. (laughs) Fair enough. And once again, thank you all for the great responses. If we didn't read your answer on the show, it just means that there were way too many great responses to choose from. Be sure to check back soon for another all-new question of the week. And stay tuned for the Answer of the Week audio blog if you want to hear our favorite autobiographical comics. And more all than that... All auto-tuned. All auto-tuned. And more than that, stay tuned for a little update to the Answer of the Week. We're going to maybe change up the format a little bit so that we can read more of these great responses. That's coming. TBA. But get ready for it. <laughs> Right about now, you'd normally be hearing me humiliate myself by attempting to rap for Matt's delight. Well, that dude decided he'd rather go hobnob with Jimmy Fallon than co-host his hit podcast with his best friend. Well, that guy can just forget it! The comic pushers are back. Joe, you you have serious issues. I am upset. I have been pushed to the brink. Well, thank you for not making me rap. (laughs) So this month, Velva writes... Hey there, I'm a big comic geek, or should I say I was a big comic geek until I moved back to Omaha. Since I've moved back, I haven't been able to find a really good store or people who know what they're talking about, so I gave up and have stopped reading. Recently, I've wanted to get back into it, but I'm so totally out of the loop, I have no idea where to go or what new things I might like. In the past, my typical reading included anything Neil Gaiman, Sandman especially, Hellblazer, Watchmen, X-Men, and so on. Suggestions on where to go and anything new you think I might like would be greatly appreciated. My first question is, Joe, did you set up this question to pimp your shop? Yes, I did. (laughs) Good for you. Now, 
this is a legitimate question, mm-hmm. but I included the part about the about where to go in Omaha because there are great shops in Omaha. There are a lot of great shops in Omaha. I am particularly biased to Legend Comics and Coffee, the fine sponsors of this show. 5207 Leavenworth Street. There's some uh, badass people working there. Th- yes. I mean, the fine host of this program, or, a, mm-hmm. you know, one of the hosts, at least. <laughs> the dedicated one. Uh, wait, wait, wait. You're saying I'm not dedicated? Well, y- I'm saying, saying I'm you don't host? work at Legend Comics and Coffee. <laughs> 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 it's a fine place full of fine people, and we are always, always eager to help with recommendations. Walk on in, even if you aren't prepared to buy anything, get a cup of coffee, and just browse the racks. We're happy to chat. That said, as far as wanting to get back into comics, Mm -hmm. based on your past reading history, I think you've got to throw stuff like Saga Mm -hmm. and uh, Manhattan Projects. For sure. Adder. I'm assuming Velvet is a her. Perhaps that's sexist of me. I'm sorry if it's not. I was thinking she was a big block of cheese, but... A big hunk of, hunk of cheese. Hunk of cheese. Uh, I, to throw in with those, I, just because of the, the Sandman thing, and it's not so much the tone, but I think the large, the, you know, the large cast of connected characters and excellent writing, uh, Journey into Mystery with Kid Loki. Oh, uh, yeah. The writing, it, it just always reminds me of stuff that I really liked about Sandman. Why it's not its not a direct parallel. I, I love that feel. And it's not super reliant on knowing you know what's going on in the Marvel Universe. And almost all the art's great. And Gillen is a beast <laughs> on writing. And you will fall in love with Kid Loki. Fall in love. You know, and as far as something that's not necessarily new, but that she may have missed in her reading gap, if you loved stuff like Sandman uh, and Hellblazer, like long form, you know, stories for mature readers, mm-hmm. one of my favorites of all time is Transmetropolitan by Warren Ellis. Oh, so good. If you have not, this is a, this is a fact. Transmetropolitan by Warren Ellis is one of the reasons that Jason... And Wendy, uh, the people that founded Legend Comics, decided to open a comic book store. It's that good. It's life-changing. They actually built a corner brick out of the books, the fir- the tin trays. That <laughs> That's right. Fired. The cornerstone is built. It's a really, it's a very foolishly engineered. <laughs> yeah, they weren't thinking. <laughs> but Hellblazer is one of my favorite long-form stories of all time. The, a great example of something just like Sandman with a singular uh, creative voice. In this case, it's both a writer and an artist that got to tell this story from beginning, middle, and end. And it's so great. It's biting satire. Even though it's set in the far future, it couldn't be more relevant even today. It started in the 90s. It was set 300 years in the future, and it's still relevant to today. Yeah. Uh, another one that I love and I try to get in the hands of as many people as I can is Starman by James Robinson. <laughs> and if if you love comics, uh, your list of comics leads me to believe that you would be primed for this because you've got a little bit of X-Men on there. You've got Watchmen, which is a superhero deconstruction, and you're cool with the more mature stuff like uh, Hellblazer and, and Neil Gaiman. And I think Starman would be right up your alley. Uh, it's the story of Jack Knight, a slacker kid who hates his father's uh, legacy as a superhero, was forced to take up the mantle to defend the city and his family, and ends up growing to love it. And it's all about the importance of history 
and legacy and relationships between father and son. And it's just a great story from beginning to end. Those are my go-to recommendations. I'm, I'm going to throw in one here, just kind of a little out of left field. Just for something, especially if you're just getting back into comics and you want to pick something up, Atomic Robo from Red Five. Oh, uh, they're, yes, they're, they're they're very wacky and it doesn't really match anything on on your list, but it, it it lends itself to being always you can always jump on it, which is great and take a stab at any number one issue from Image. Oh yeah, I mean, there you go. Volume seven, I think, just came out, and yes, it does not it does not matter that it's Volume seven. You just mm-hmm. grab Volume seven if you want and read it. They're all they're all. Singular experiences. Atomic Robo couldn't get a higher recommendation from me as well. John, I'm glad you brought it up. Now, I do think that that is probably enough to get her going. That Right in itself, we gave her five different series that each have <laughs> more than five volumes to get into. So, thank you so much for the question, Velva. We want you to drop us a line and let us know what you thought of our suggestions. And if you, I'm talking to all you out there, have got imaginary bugs crawling under your skin and you don't know what'll help you scratch that itch, send an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com with a subject line, Comic Pushers. Woo! Sort of break it, break it down like this. That is it for this tragically romantic episode of THN. If one man attempting to fill the hole in his heart with a string of cheap guest hosts is what you look for in your audio entertainment, no offense, John. You can find this show on Stitcher Radio or subscribe on iTunes, where if you want to prove your THN love, you can leave us a star rating and written review and help us get into the iTunes top 10. It's not only a hole in his heart that he's trying to fill. Uh, Huge thanks to all our donors. If you'd like to help keep us in candy hearts and fancy chocolates, you can make your donation in any amount at the new and improved TwoHeadedNerd.com. While you're there, you can find links to our Twitter feed and our email, TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com, where you can send us your love slash hate mail or ask us to review your self-published, printed, digital, whatever, comic. Don't forget to check out all of the content from the THN Love Slaves at TwoHeadedNerd.com, like the latest installment of Dave DeMarco's Nerd TV, and more ludicrous speed reviews from last week's guest host, Aaron Myers. Aaron, just kidding, Aaron, we still love you. And remember to follow us on Twitter, that's TwoHeadedNerd, and like our Facebook page if you want to get in on the Question of the Week discussion. And if you want to hear our answers, be sure to check out the TwoHeadedNerd.com web-exclusive Not Safe for Wackos audio blog. Oh, I missed an opportunity. I should have said Not Safe for Wieners. Oh, that's all right. It's totally safe for wieners. Come on in, guys. And the answer of the week. (laughs) Next week, take a look. It's in a book focuses on Warren Ellis' Global Frequency Trade Paperback. Oh, I wish I was here next week. Oh, I'm sorry, buddy. Before we go... Wait, don't ruin the illusion. You are here next week. I am next week. I am forever. You are forever. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to all of our Russian fans who had a damn meteor explode over their heads this morning. Here's hoping you all end up with superpowers. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics. Your retailer just might kiss you on the mouth for it. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. Thanks a whole lot for being here, John. Thank you. Will you be my retailer that kisses me on the mouth? Excelsior! Excelsior!